business and buckets. We are live. I got some motion in my chest, recovering. No, I'm just kidding. But we're on episode 72 with lots of sports to talk about because there's one thing that we always have, and that's sports. We're sporting it, baby. Uh, But before we talk sports, we are talking the one and only sponsor, Fueled Supplements, because it's important. Not just important because they're the sponsor, but they could help you for your health, personal health goals, body goals, whatever kind of goals. Because if it ain't broke, why fix it? That's really the inspiration behind Fueled Supplements' newest product, Creatine Monohydrate. So first off, why in the hell take creatine? Well, Creatine Monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural supplements available for increasing muscle performance. Creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as the muscle's tissue's primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. It has 100 servings. It's non-GMO, gluten-free, and safe and effective. You guys know the, the deal. Enter my promotion code BUCKETS for your 15% off all products. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Again, you're buying supplements. You're going to GNC. Quit, quit helping the massive corporations help small businesses. That's what it's all about. People helping people. We're going to talk a little bit about the NFL to start. Um, for me in my life, you know, I, I got some snowboarding in this past weekend. Uh, Saturday wasn't very good at Crystal Mountain, which is right by Rainier here in Washington. Um, they needed some more snow. It was, it was skied out for sure. They never really have good snow there. Went with another friend's to Stevens. It was like four inches fresh, probably snowed five inches during the day. Got some sweet power runs. And I was super pumped about taking the first of the month off and going to Mount Baker because they had 30 inches, 30 fucking inches over the week. We go there. It warmed up. It was like 45 degrees overnight the night before. And it's raining on the mountain. All that good snow gone to waste. And I spent six hours in the car. Was pretty bummed. It is what it is. Hit the casino, won a couple hundred, um, got that, you know, got that back from from all the effort and wasted gas. I am not going skiing this weekend. UFC weekend, it's too warm. Uh, my board's getting fixed up a little bit. It's taking some damage. We've been hitting the slopes, uh, but I'm excited for the UFC this weekend. Fucking March Madness is right here. I could feel it. I could smell it. Ready to win some pool money. The NBA is getting. Um, Heated as we're we're getting close to the end of the regular season, teams fighting for in bubble or in the uh, play-in tournament, out of the play-in tournament. Supercross is getting a little bit tighter in the 450 at least. So we got a lot to talk about, but we're going to start with the NFL. The combine is this week. There are rumors, things going on around the league, but there's not a ton as there's obviously no in-game action here in the next few weeks. We will review some of the mock drafts. I'll give you guys my thoughts. You know, mock drafts are mock drafts. They're never super accurate, but uh, we'll talk just to talk because that's what we do. We talk sports. But for the Falcons, they are expecting to have Matt Ryan back. This is another vet in the league that has a potential to go to uh, another team. There is a ton of vets when it comes to quarterbacks that potentially could be on new teams. You know, one domino falls, they could all fall. No one knows really if this information is totally correct. These are things that I've seen from Bleacher Report, Twitter, all over, ESPN. 
Um, a lot of the times a team will say, oh, no, there's no way we'll get rid of this player. We're going to do whatever we can to keep him. Everything's sunshine and rainbows. And then the next day is on a new team. So um, a, lot of, a lot of teams are playing smoke and mirrors as well. But this is the headlines. This is what the, the big companies are reporting, the actual insiders of the league. As much as I'd love to be an insider, I'm not. So I have to review based off what uh, the information the real insiders are getting. So supposedly, Matt Ryan will be back. Supposedly, the Panthers could sign Cam Newton again as their quarterback job is open. I do think the Panthers rely on the draft. They have tried when free agency, Teddy Bridgewater, Cam Newton, Sam Darnold. That clearly hasn't worked for them. So I have no idea why they would sign Cam Newton. He hasn't shown that he could play at a very high level of recent. And um, I just feel like there's more drama with that move than anything. So that would surprise me, but that's that's what's reported. The Commanders, the new team, not the Washington football team anymore, the Washington Commanders are pursuing Russell Wilson, according to reports. But then Pete Carroll and the Seahawks said that they won't trade him. So again, smoke and mirrors, who's actually leading this on? Things are going to get very interesting during the combine, after the draft. We will really see what this free agency is all about. Jimmy G needing soldier sur shoulder surgery. He won't be back until the beginning of next season, but he is still uh, one of those dominoes that can fall to another team as well. As you would assume with the draft capital for Trey Lance, it's Trey Lance season for the Niners. Melvin Gordon reportedly, wa reportedly wanting to stay in Denver. I'm sure he does, especially with the reports of potential Aaron Rodgers or a big name quarterback coming in. I thought he played well. Obviously, they have the young stud out of North Carolina that had an amazing rookie season. So I don't know. He would definitely have to take a pay cut, I would assume, to stay there. But there isn't really one. You know, there's not a lot of teams that have a, a RB1 that gets the bell cow carries anymore. It's usually a running back by committee. And what Williams and Gordon were able to do last year, I thought that they performed pretty well. Christian Kirk, a free agent from the Cardinals, expected to be a very hot commodity around the league. I thought he did really well with DeAndre Hopkins out. Him and Kyler had a connection, and you put him in a team where he could be a solid 1B or a wide receiver 2. I think he really could flourish, even though he's already had a pretty good season. Um, I had him on my fantasy team the past few years, and he did not disappoint. Let's see. If I go to the Cardinals, well, I guess I can just type it in. Kirk Yards 2021. He had 993 yards, just under 1,000, with a lot of mouse defeat in that offense. Speaking of the Cardinals, they may not sign, uh, re sign Chandler Jones as he is due for an extension and obviously is getting up there in age. I couldn't believe the uh, Patriots got rid of them when got rid of him when they did, but he is 32 years old, so I, I could see that being a true thing. And then moving on, especially after them, you know, signing J.J. Watt and him getting hurt as well. The Rams are wanting to bring back OBJ and Aaron Donald. I'm not surprised, right? They have a free agent team. They're going to try to run it back. I do assume OBJ returns. I'm not too sure about Darn, uh, Aaron Donald. And if Donald doesn't return, I wouldn't expect Von Miller to. So again, lots of dominoes to fall, but this is the reports as of now. Um, Pro Bowl offensive guard Ali Marpet retiring at a very young age. I believe he is 28. Let's just confirm with the Google machine here. 
He's 28 years old. Um, Tom Brady potentially retired. You know, potentially he could come back. Uh, potentially might not just want to play for the Bucks. Uh, cough, cough. Uh, but Marpet retires, so that would be another piece that they would have to refill. I think we all knew this was coming, but the NFL is seriously considering changing the overtime rule. Right, everyone's upset after the couple games. Uh, every they think both teams should have full full opportunities to win the game. So we'll see what happens. I'm not really that upset about it. You know, this is becoming more and more an offensive league, kind of like the NBA. Uh, you have to play defense too. You you want to bitch about it? Get a better defense. Have your defense perform. Amazon looking to hire Kirk Curb Street for their new Thursday night football broadcast. You know that they got a ton of money. You know that they're going after the A players. And with the free agency, not only as wild as it is in the league, it is that in the analyst side, these guys are getting paid bucko dollars. People like Kirk Herbstreet. Uh, we'll see if he wants to be a part of the NFL. Again, the combine is starting this week. Uh, the news today that I've seen is everyone's all worked up over Kenny Pickett's hand size. Uh, some guy got roasted on Twitter for saying, I don't know if he could handle the weather and the, the football type in Pittsburgh. It's like, dude, he did that at Pitt. He's had a fucking glorified, an amazing career at Pittsburgh. Um, obviously, the Steelers are very aware. You know, supposedly his hand size would be smaller than any current NFL quarterback. And I know hands are, are a part of it, but he's shown that he can play, right? There's always issues or concerns coming into the draft. But at the end of the day, the Steelers, I believe in their drafting. They're developed through the draft. A lot of other teams are as well. If the kid can play, he can play, right? Russell Wilson was too small. Kyler Murray's too small. There's always this fucking drama. Um, I'm just, I just hate seeing it and that it's that big of a deal. And I hope that he does slip. I hope that they're so worried about his hand size, he slips to 20 and Pittsburgh gets their guy. I, I really hope it's him instead of Willis, personally. Um, the Saints may re-sign Jameis Winston. I would think that's kind of a surprise. No one really knows what's happening with the Saints. They have the Michael Thomas issues, Kamara um, off-the-field off issues, Sean Payton's gone, Drew Brees is gone. You know, do they want... They paid all that money for their Swiss Army knife of a player that's not really a quarterback, so uh, they have a lot of issues to figure out. I don't know if re-signing Jameis Winston would be the answer, but uh, maybe that's just the best, cheapest option they have. The Giants general manager is saying that they would take calls on Saquon Barkley, Saquads. Uh, that's not too surprising to me. Um, you know, they are far from a, a, a very competitive team. And if they could get capital to restart, click the refresh button like they did when they drafted Barkley, uh, if they could get a good return, he hasn't stayed healthy. But I think the health injuries, they won't get that big of a return. So it might not be worth the, the move. The Packers GM said they haven't had offers for Aaron Rodgers. Again, smoke and mirrors. I just, I don't believe this at all. Um, you can't tell me that a team hasn't <laughs> filled a call about Aaron Rodgers at this point, but we'll see what happens. Um, I think he's the first big domino. Once he goes, there's going to be a lot of things that happen. And good news for, for the Yenzers and other Steelers fans, as such as myself, all signs are pointing towards Stefan Tuitt returning to the Steelers after missing the season due to some injury, but mostly personal reasons. Um, you never knew if he was going to come back. And I really wish he was able to play the second half of last season. They could have really benefited there. Uh, but you think of Tyson Alualu coming back, Stefan it, and Cam Hayward, plus some of the other depth pieces that they've added. It could be a very deadly, deadly defensive line. 
Uh, and Stefan Tuitt have had one of his better years uh, the year before. So uh, fingers crossed for the Yinzers and Steelers fans for Stefan Tuitt. And that's it. That's all we got for the NFL. It is the offseason. But the UFC really doesn't have an offseason as they have a big-time pay-per-view card. And it's a big-time pay-per-view card without a title shot. Uh, there was supposed to be, but obviously a lot of reworking going on. Um, you know, not only with COVID health issues, um, the war, there's just lots of shit in the world happening today, but there are some other fights that have been announced before we dive into that. Valentina Shevchenko, the fucking bullet is going to be back in action against Talia Santos and sorry, not sorry, but this is just another win on her record. We'll dive into it when the time comes, but I will be stoked to see Valentina Shevchenko back in the octagon. Uh, Jennifer Maya stepping in against Manon Fierro. Fierro. I say her name different every fucking time, but I'm not saying it right. Uh, but that's still going to be a good fight. Manon was supposed to fight somebody else a couple times, I believe. Uh, but now Jennifer Maya steps in. A very good competitor. That'll be a fun fight in the women's division. Some old names taking each other on in the heavyweight division. Shogun Rua is going to take on OSP Oliver St. Prue. Uh, that's going to be a fun one of two guys that have graced the octagon for quite some time to see who has more left in the tank. Vet Michael Johnson's taking on Alan Patrick. That'll be a fun fight. For this weekend, bummer news, Rafael Faziv was out because of COVID after this had already gotten pushed. So RDA got a short-term opponent and everybody wanted Islam, but Islam declined the fight. Wasn't anyone else but Islam and his team. And RDA will now be taking on Renato Moicano, which is still a good fight, but to me doesn't quite have the luster. Um, Gilbert Burns versus Chimaev is official for April. Can't wait for that one. That is going to be a banger. Let's see what the Wolf, a.k.a. Chimaev, can also do. Um, Cain Velasquez had some murder charges. But really what happened was he shot a man who was charged with molesting his relative. Um, there's been lots of free cane shirts. There's potential of him getting life in prison, yada, yada. We'll see what happens, but I don't know if you can really give a guy like that for, in this situation life in prison. So hopefully the justice system shows up the way it should. Prayers to Mr. Cain Velasquez and his family. A new one just this afternoon. It's Thursday afternoon. Gerald Mearshart taking on Christoph Jocko. Uh, Jocko's been unactive, inactive for a while, so I'm glad to see him back in there. That'll be a banger for sure. And not too sure why, but the UFC is letting Sam Alvey compete the last fight on it, uh, complete for the last fight on his contract. Although he's on a huge slide, doesn't look that good in the octagon, but a true vet that's fought many awards. I'll tune in for sure. For some locations, UFC 274 is looking to be in Phoenix, Arizona. UFC 275 targeting Singapore. Uh, so we have some locations for some events. Uh, hoping that Seattle could get one. Potentially thinking about going to Phoenix based off the card. My 30th birthday is UFC 276. So we'll see what cards are going. Maybe got some, some big time UFCs in the future. The PFL matching Bellator's offer for Kayla Harrison. So it seems like Kayla Harrison is going to be returning to the PFL, although this is not official yet. And supposedly Tyson Fury says he will retire after his fight with Dylan White. 
uh, retiring on top. He's made all the money. He's done everything you can. You know, he's tried to fight some bigger names. That never happens. There's all this con contractual bullshit. He's probably just sick of it and like, you know what? Might as well go out on top. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if he does grace um, the ring, you know, whether it's a Francis Ngannou fight or a big-name super fight in the future. Um, but officially, he, he seemed confident on the MMAR that he will be retiring after this fight, which is a bummer to see him go because he isn't in his prime. I mean, how old is he? He's not that old. The Gypsy King. 33 years old. Yeah, right in his fucking prime. The funny thing is, too, that um, I don't know, man. I mean, just the antics this guy has. It's going to be in in London. They're talking about adding seats to it because it's already sold out. I just wish his last fight was a bigger named fight. Uh, but, hey, we, we got to enjoy it while, while he, he, he's still active. Uh, but I would love to see him take on a super fight later down the road. And then before we talk about last week's fight night card, there was a Bellator card last week. Uh, not a lot of fights that really piqued my interest, but obviously Gegard Musasi with the TKO over Austin Vanderford. Um, if you think you might know the Vanderford name, he's the wife of Paige Van Zant, and he was undefeated. Gerard came in, cleaned his clock, got him down, ground and pound, TKO finish. And um, he's hyping himself up as one of the best middleweights in all of MMA. Do I think that he could compete against Izzy and Robert Whitaker? I don't. Um, but great performance. Great to see him do his thing. I figured he'd take the, the dub, and he, he was able to, to bring back the dub to, to keep his reign in Bellator. But let's talk fight night. So uh, some fights that I didn't dive into. There was a nice win uh, by Josanne Nunez. She was looking light on her feet. Fucking quick hands for, for, for the women's division. And then the Ultimate Fighter alum, Michael Gilmore, who we didn't dive into but talked about, lost via first-round submission. I had said I was surprised that the UFC kept him in the roster. Um, I, I wasn't you know that well impressed. He came into the Ultimate Fighter because of a injury, and he was a late ad. Um, but he got a, submitted in the first round. Been hot on my picks of late. But for this fight night, I got smoked. I was three and five in the picks this week. So let's recap. Um, for the for the little flyweights, the little guys, we had Jonathan Martinez with a unanimous decision over Alejandro Perez. And this fight had some good exchanges, but Martinez really controlled the pace for most of this fight. And where when Perez was aggressive and came forward, I thought he had better moments and, and opportunities. And obviously he had a knockdown in Martinez, and I'm not too sure why he wasn't more aggressive in coming forward. And his coaches tried to get him to do that throughout most of the fight. Uh, but he did have powerful combos. He was successful. He just didn't do it often enough throughout the rounds. When we look at the stats in this fight, Martinez landed 74 total in significant strikes compared to Alejandro's 52 total in significant. But he also had the knockdown. Now, Martinez is now on a two-fight winning streak while Perez starts a new losing streak and he has lost three of his last four fights. So what's up next? I can see Martinez taking on John Castaneda or maybe even Nathan Maness. And for Perez, I can see someone like Sergey Morozov or Hunter Azure, 406, represent four times. I uh, love to see Hunter back at the octagon. It's been some while. Uh, I'm, a, I'm assuming he's improving his craft and really grinding it out. Um, but that would be an awesome fight to see. And then we had Terrence McKinney, 
motherfucking T-Rex with the first round submission over Ferez Ziam. And what a showing this was by T-Rex. Uh, he actually got some octagon, octagon time under his belt and showcased his versatility in this fight. He really owned this fight. Um, I'm kind of pissed that I picked against him. I figured, you know, he's just so green in the octagon. And Ferez is no slouch, the smiling, the smile killer. Um, but he just showed how high level is and he is and how well-rounded he is. You know, Ziam isn't a slouch, but this was a real coming like coming out and show out party for McKinney. He's the real fucking deal. Statistically, Terrence landed a, a 13 total and three significant strikes with the submission versus Ziam's one total and significant strike. Um, so he got almost a full round under his belt. Still was a completely dominated round. Uh, he said he's ready to rock. I'm sure we'll see him in the octagon a few times this year. And he's just leaping up the ladder bo- uh, leaderboard, moving up the ladder in the division. And uh, not only does he have great power, finesse, wrestling, jujitsu, he's going to be a tough out in this division. Um, Terrence is now on a five-fight winning streak, but two of them being in the UFC. And Ferris is on a two-fight winning streak, uh, was on a two-fight winning streak that has now stopped, and now he starts a new losing streak. So what's next for these fighters? I could see that uh, Terrence taking on a vet like Jim Miller, getting a little uptick in competition, and Jim Miller's been looking good. Or maybe Demir is Magalov. And for Ziam, I could see somebody, uh, one of the Brazilians near him in the rankings, someone like Christos Giagos or Leonardo Santos. But either way, definitely tuning in for these guys' next fights. See how Ziam could bounce back after getting dominated and see how far McKinney can get this year. And what a fight this was. Ignacio Baja Mondes with the third round submission over Rong Zhu. And this was a great fight as I expected. You know, both fighters were able to have their moments, land their shots. But Ignacio at six foot one, which is massive for this weight class, was just able to use his length to keep Rong at distance, chop at his legs, outpoint him, do a typical, you know, do a typical, um, fight plan that somebody that that has that much reach would do. And he was able to avoid Rong's wrestling, which was huge as he didn't have to, as he didn't have good openings for the takedown when Baja Mondes was keeping him at distance, chopping his legs when he wanted to come forward, tapping him up with that jab. Now Rong does look promising. I did pick him for a reason. He's only 21, but Baja Mondes, I think is definitely the real deal. He's going to be able to use this length advantage against a lot of fighters and, you know, Rong's pretty aggressive, and he wasn't very aggressive in that fight. It reminded me of kind of like what Sean O'Malley does with his opponents. Everyone thinks they could go in, take him down, get in close, and it's not that easy when you're getting chopped up and you can't get in. Um, statistically, Ignacio landed 133 total and 126 significant strikes with two submission attempts versus Rong's 49 total and 48 significant strikes with the takedown. Now, Ignacio is on a two-fight winning streak both with finishes, and he is 3-1 and one in the UFC. Rong Zhu starts a new losing streak and finishes the calendar year 2-2, two and two, but getting very good experience at such a young age, he's far from his prime. So what's next for these fighters? I could see Ignacio taking on someone like Mike Davis or Matt Frivola. And for Rong, how about Alex Munoz or Dakota Bush in a very stacked lightweight division? And that was just the prelims. 
Moving into the main card, we had Armin Petrosian with a split decision over Gregory Robocop Rodriguez. And honestly, I was shocked by this decision. Armin had landed more strikes, but Robocop clearly landed the more impactful strikes. Armin was just kind of like dapping him up with the jabs. Fucking Robocop would come in. You could see the whiplash. You could see the impact. Um, I had Robocop with rounds one and two, but both fighters looked good. I was in very, very impressed by Armin's durability and movement as a kickboxer. Um, I didn't know he was, he had a Dana White contender series fight. I didn't see that when I researched it. Um, you know, he didn't do very good in his last kickboxing bouts or in one championship. Um, but he looked, you know, RoboCop ain't no slouch. He's been on a tear. Armin looked good. And I think he's going to be a, a tough out in this division because he was also able to be durable. I mean, Gregory was landing some fucking shots, head kicks, shots, power punches, hooks, and he was able to take them. And both guys are pretty beat up after, at the end of the fight. Statistically, Armin landed 128 and 120 significant strikes compared to Rodriguez's 61 total and significant strikes with two takedowns and submission attempts. Armin is now on a three-fight winning streak, one being in the Dana White Contender Series and the other being now in the UFC. And RoboCop has, now has his four-fight winning streak come to an end and he starts a new losing streak. So what's next for these guys? For Armin, I could see someone like Chidi Nujukani or Wellington Terman, who also just won. And for Rodriguez, I could see someone like Puna Soriano, uh, which would be fucking savage, or Mark andre Burialt. But either way, can't wait for these guys' next, next uh, bouts as that was a fucking banger. And then we had this fucking blood fest. We had Armin Sakarian with the second round knockout over Joel Alvarez. And man, these fighters are at a high level at a, in a very good weight class. The lightweight division is, is stacked. And Armin just found himself in the right spots at the right time. He was relentless. And this is now why he's a, a ranked fighter in what I think is the best class in the UFC. Alvarez battled though, right? He showed his heart. He showed he could compete. But the nasty bows that were landed against him really ruined his chances because that shit was leaking like a faucet. He had it in his eyes. And when you got blood in your eyes, there's just, there's just so much issues that he had. Because that elbow leaned clean, landed clean and sliced the shit out of him. Statistically, Armin landed 93 total and 36 significant strikes with two takedowns. Compared to Joel's 27 total and seven strikes. 27 total and seven significant strikes. So now Armin's on a five-fight winning streak. Since his UFC debut loss to Islam, who's a fucking on, on a terror. And he moves up one spot to number 12 in the rankings. While Alvarez has his four fight winning streak come to an end, he starts a new losing streak. So, what could be next for these guys? Well, I would love for Armin to take on Rafael Faziv now that he'd been out with against the RDA fight. That's still, you know, a little bit le less of a ranked opponent, but still an amazing fight. And I think Armin shows that he's worthy. Or maybe Gregor Gillespie. Why Gregor hasn't picked a fight? He's, he's declined a couple. I'm not too sure. But a little bit of wrestler on wrestler. A little grappling match. That'd be fun. And for Joel, I could see someone like Brad Riddell or Bobby Green. But much like the other fighters, I'm excited for both of these fighters to grace the octagon again. I'll be tuning in. And then we had Wellington Terman with a second round submission over Misha Serkinov. Another fight I got wrong. And this fight was really back and forth. 
the first round was a great a great bout. I actually had Misha taking round one. Well, then in the second, Misha found himself on top of uh, tournament again, and Wellington landed a deep and nasty arm bar so fucking fast I almost missed it. He got it. He got it deep. It was a tap. It was over. He probably fucked up his arm because it was so deep, and uh, that was all she wrote. Big win for Wellington. Uh, statistically, Terman landed 24 total and 15 significant strikes with two submission attempts. And he went 0 for 3 in takedown attempts. But hey, he was able to get the job done. Versus Serkinov's 50 total strikes and 30 significant. He also had a takedown and a submission attempt of his own. Now, Wellington's on a two-fight winning streak, while Serkinov is in a tough place with a three-fight losing streak. Anything more than three in the UFC, depending on your brand likeliness and what you bring to the UFC, you're, you're in position to get cut. Um, two of them coming from middleweight. So he's lost two in middleweight, lost the, uh, at this weight class as well. So what's next? I could see Wellington take on Armin Petrosian uh, or Jacob Mal- Malkoon. That'd be fun. Both fighters just fought, so they'll, they'll probably be ready around the same time. And for Misha, I could see someone like Jordan Wright or maybe RoboCop who just lost as well. Either way, uh, he needs to get some momentum going quick. And then we had the main event. Islam Makachev with the first round TKO over Bobby King Green. And this went exactly how you would think it would. Um, I love that Bobby came in, saved the day. But he was just clearly outmatched here. When you look at the stats, Islam landed 30 total and 14 significant strikes with the takedown compared to Bobby's 11 total and 9 significant. I mean, Islam just came forward. He did what he needed to do, timed it out, got the takedown, got the finish. He's now on a 10-fight winning streak. He moves up one spot to number three, while Bobby has a two-fight winning streak come to an end, and he starts a new losing streak. So what's next? I think Islam potentially was going to fill in for RDA. didn't. So now Dana's saying that Benil Darius will be the appropriate next fight once he's healthy. If that didn't happen, maybe Dustin Poirier. That would be a fun fight unless Dustin has a big-time fight coming up because he wants a money fight against someone like Diaz. For Bobby, I could see someone like Alexander Hernandez or Joel Alvarez who just lost as well. But either way, mad props to Bobby. Islam's the real fucking deal. Can't wait to see him back in the octagon. So this weekend, we got UFC 272. Colby Masvidal. Can't wait. Well, in the early prelims start at 3 p.m. Pacific. The main card typical at 7 p.m., right? The prelims on ESPN at 5 p.m. When we look at it, though, Yes, there is no title fights, but there's a high quality, a, a good amount of high quality fights and high quality fighters. That's why we're kicking it off in the early prelims. We got Tim Elliott, the 35 year old fighter with an 18, 12, and 1 record, and the number 13 next to his name. Love me some Tim Elliott. Taking on Tagir Ulenbekov, the 30 year old fighter with a 14 and 1 record, and the number 15 next to his name. Well, Tim trains out of Extreme Couture. He's a blue belt in BJJ. He has a D2 wrestling background from the University of Central Oklahoma. He's an Ultimate Fighter uh, alum and champion. 
He's on a one-fight losing streak and one was one and one in, in the last year in 2021. Tagir, he's Dagestanian, which you know how that rolls. You never wanna, you never wanna bet against the, the Dagestanians, and and they've been hot. Obviously, with that, he's got a background in, in uh, combat sambo. He does sport a four-inch reach advantage in this fight. He's on a five-fight winning streak with two of them in the UFC. And seven of his 14 wins are via submission. I honestly can't believe this is an early prelim fight. It's a high-level matchup. I believe Tagir is in his prime and is going to use his reach to an advantage here. And if it goes to the mat, I think he will have the grappling advantage as well. I'm going to take Tagir. I hate picking against my guy Tim Elliott, but I think Tagir is a real deal. I've been burned by the Dagestanians. I got to change it up a little bit. I'm going to put Tagir on a parlay. I'm marking that ish down, and we getting bread this weekend. Moving up next, we got Brian Boom Kelleher, the 35-year-old fighter with a 24-12 and record, taking on Umar Nurmagomedov, the 26-year-old fighter with a clean 13-0 and record. Now, this fight's happening at featherweight, and Kelleher and Umar typically fight in bantamweight. Kelleher, he's an orthodox fighter a brown belt in BJJ. He likes taking on the young up-and-comers. He's on a two-fight winning streak, and 10 of his 24 wins are via submission. Umar, he's a Nurmagomedov. He's Khabib's cousin. He trains out of Eagles MMA. He's fought in the PFL. He's 1-0 in the UFC um, and has a three-inch three reach advantage. Now, Kelleher, he isn't a slouch. He's got a ton of octagon experience and he likes taking on the younger fighters. He likes taking on the up and comers trying to, you know, be the more experienced fighter, shut that shit down real quick. But I can't bet against Dagestan again and Eagles MMA anymore. Umar is young. You'd expect him to leverage his grappling in this fight, land some ground and pound. And I'm not betting against that. I'm taking Umar. I'm putting him on my parlay, marking that down. And we get that bread. That's the early prelims. Now we move to the prelims. We got an early day Saturday. Tune this shit in. We got Kennedy, the African savage, Nechekwu, the 29-year-old fighter with a 9-1 record, taking on Nikolai Draco Nugomaranu, the 27-year-old fighter with a nice 11-1 record. It's going to be a really sick fight to start the prelims on ESPN. You know, Nikolai, he has backgrounds in Kempo and wrestling. He's on a two-fight winning streak and is 2-1 and one in the UFC. And seven of his 11 wins are via knockout. Kennedy, he's a Dana White Contender Series alum. He's, going, he's gone 2-0 and oh, um, in Dana White Contender Series and got a contract after the second win, not the first. He also fought in the LFA promotion. He's on a one-fight losing streak, and six of his nine wins are via knockout. He has a five-inch reach advantage here, and he's 5-2 and two in the UFC, including the Contender Series fights. Now, I think Kennedy has fought stiffer competition. He will have the experience advantage. Both fighters are powerful, and I wouldn't expect this fight to go the distance. Get a little, little round parlay going, a little prop bet going. But I'm taking Kennedy by knockout in the second. I'm putting him on my parlay, marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. God damn, what a fight. 
main or, or the prelim main, main event. We got Marina Rodriguez, 34 years old, with the 15-1-2 record and the number three next to her name, taking on Jan Chignon, the 32-year-old fighter with a 13-2 record and the number four next to her name. Now, this is going to be a crazy fight. And again, it's only the prelims. These two women are really the class of the division, and I believe we will see this fight go everywhere. Don't think it'll be a quick fight. It's going to be a battle. Marina, she's a purple belt in BJJ. She's got a dark blue tip in Muay Thai. She's a Dana White Contender Series alum, and she's uh, 6-1-2 and two in the UFC with a three-fight winning streak. Five of her 15 wins are via knockout. Meanwhile, Jan, she has a background in Sanda. She's coming off a loss to Carla Esparza, who Marina has also lost to. She's 6-1 and one in the UFC. And personally, when it comes to this, I like Marina's experience, her speed, and her toughness in this fight. It'll be a great fight, but I think she takes the win, and this will put her into title contention. And it's going to be a tough, tough out to get Marina, even for, for Rose or whoever else she fights. But I'm taking Marina. I'm putting her on my parlay, marking her down, and we getting paid. We getting that bread. But moving to the main card, after all that, that's almost like a fight night card already. We're moving to the main event. We got Sergey, Sergey the Polar Bear Spivak, 27 years old with the 13-3 and record, taking on Greg, the Prince of War Hardy, 33 years old with a 7-4 and four record. Now, this is going to be a fun fight to start the main card. I wouldn't expect this going to the distance either. Should This should be a, maybe a two-round, maybe a one-round fight. When we look at the fighters, Sergey is an orthodox fighter. He's on a one-fight losing streak, which was against a very, very good Tom Aspinall. He was 2-1 in 2021, and six of his 13 wins are via submission. Now, Greg Hardy, he's an ex-defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys. He battled issues off the field, pursued MMA after. He got the contract from winning the Dana White Contender Series fight. He's currently on a two-fight losing streak, but six of his seven wins are via knockout. This is a big bitch, and he has some serious, serious power. I do believe Spivak is going to look to get to this to the ground. He doesn't want that smoke while standing. I think he's going to try to grind and tire the big Hardy out, avoid the power from the ex-NFL star. I believe he finds a way to win, but he's got to make it ugly. I'm taking Spivak. I'm putting him on my parlay, marking that ish down, and getting that bread. Moving on, we got Kevin the Trailblazer Holland, 29 years old with a 21-7 and record and the number 14 next to his name. He's taking on Alex Cowboy Oliveira, 34 years old with a 22-11-1 record. Now, it's good to see Big Mouth back in the octagon in this new weight class after the no contest against Dacus. But when we look at Holland, he's a second-degree black belt in Kung Fu. He's got a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's a Contender Series alum. And even though he didn't win the contract when, when he uh, fought there, he did get a contract to the UFC right after. He fought in the LFA prior. He has a four and a half reach, four and a half inch reach advantage, and twelve of his twenty-one wins are via knockout. 
He's coming off two losses and a no contest, so definitely needs to get momentum back on his side. Or all the allure will be gone. Now, Alex, he's an orthodox fighter. He's got a background in BJJ and Muay Thai. He's got a blue belt in BJJ and a dark blue Prajid in Muay Thai. He's on a three-fight losing streak, and 12 of his 22 wins are via knockout. Now, this is the chance for Big Mouth to regain momentum as both fighters are in a slide and need to get back on track as soon as possible. I do believe Holland is going to use his length to his advantage. I think he will take this fight against a really good vet pretty easily. He'll get back on track. I'm confident enough to put him on my parlay, marking him down, and getting that bread. Now shit gets really interesting. The final three fights. We have Edson Jr. Barboza, the 36-year-old fighter with a 22-10 and 10 record and the number 10 next to his name, taking on Bryce Thug Nasty Mitchell, who's only 27 years old, has a 14-1 and 1 record and the number 11 next to his name. Now, Edson is a true vet in his third featherweight fight. He's the best striker that Bryce has fought by a long shot, in my opinion. He's got a background in Muay Thai, Taekwondo, BJJ. He does have a black belt in Muay Thai and Taekwondo and a brown belt in BJJ. He is on a one-fight losing streak. He finished 2021 with a one-and-one record. He does have a five-inch reach advantage. 13 of his 22 wins are via knockout. And he's a very flashy fighter to watch with a ton of fight night bonuses. He's won an ESPY. I mean, you want a flashy fighter, Barboza's your guy. Meanwhile, Mitchell, he does have a black belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. Five of his 14 wins are in the UFC. He hasn't fought since October of 2020, you know, COVID, some, some injury issues. But he's known for his twister finishes. He's got two of, I think, four ever recorded in the UFC. And he's just a little farm boy from Arkansas. He's a rapper. He's fun. He's interesting. But I just don't think Bryce can rely on his wrestling with Barboza. And I don't want to discredit his striking but there's levels to this game. We're talking levels. When we're measuring levels, right, Barboza's, he's just, he's high up there. I don't want to, you know, again, discredit Bryce, but the speed, the quickness, the strength that Barboza has in this weight class looks to be pretty incredible. And this being a three-round fight definitely plays in Edson's favor. You know, if this was a five-round fight, I could see the potential of Bryce living gassing out Barboza and getting the win. But I'm taking Barboza. This one's about to be a blast. I'm putting him on my parlay. He's an underdog, a little extra, little extra cheddar. So let's mark him down and let's get this bread. Moving on, we got Rafael Dos Anjos, 37 years old with a 29-13 and 13 record and the number six next to his name, taking on Renato Moicano, the 32-year-old fighter with a 16-4 and record and the number 11 next to his name. Now, much like the Islam fight last weekend, I was really looking forward to RDA versus Faziv. But hey, Waikano, he's proved he's very talented. He looked great in his last fight. I don't think he should be overlooked. But this doesn't have the same allure as the Faziv fight, in my opinion. Now, Waikano, he is in his prime. He has fought a lot of competition as well. All over. He's well-rounded. RDA, now that he's returned to lightweight after fighting a handful of fights at welterweight, 
It's going to be interesting. RDA is a Southpaw fighter with a BJJ background. He has a fourth degree black belt in BJJ and a black Prajid in Muay Thai. He is a true UFC veteran that is very well-rounded and has been in many, many battles and has uh, had a lot of fight of the nights. He was the champion of the lightweight class. He's on a one-fight winning streak behind Paul Felder in his first fight back from, from uh, lightweight. He was on a two-fight losing streak at welterweight, and 10 of his 30 wins are via submission. But he hasn't fought since November of 2020. Moicano just fought three weeks ago. He's been fighting in lightweight for two years and before was in the featherweight class. He has a background in BJJ and Muay Thai with black belts in both. He trains out of American Top Team with a bunch of killers. He's on a two-fight winning streak and nine of his 16 wins are via submission. Now this motherfucker is a hard one to pick. I'm not putting it on my parlay. I've been back and forth, but I am going to take RDA. Sometimes that age, it's like, ugh, you know, my Kano's in his prime. But RDA looks good. He looks shredded right now. And I am going to take the vet with the experience. Not in my parlay, but I'm taking RDA for the dub. And then we got the main event. Holy shit, what a fight this is going to be. We got Colby Chaos Covington. 34 years old with a 16-3 and record and the number one next to his name. Taking on Jorge Gamebred Masvidal, 37 years old, with a whopping 35-15 and 15 record and the number six next to his name. And really, this comes down to bad blood. Best brothers turn beef. And it really looks like this is some real bad beef. This isn't some bullshit selling drama. But who knows anymore? There's always a ton of fun when these fights happen. They're great sellers. But there is no f title fights on this card, which is kind of a bummer. It was supposed to be. But it's still a deep card. It's a fun fight. And this fight specifically is one that I've been looking forward to in a long time. You know, all these the shit talking that Colby does, you know, talking about street Jesus, this and that. We knew it was bound to happen. And I'm so stoked that it's finally here. Now, as hard of a fight as this is to predict, these men know who the better fighter are. When you have guys that train together, you sweat together, you bleed together, you live together, you do all these things together, it's just the human instinct in us. We need to know who the alpha is, you know, so to speak. They know who the better fighter is, the better wrestler, the better striker, the better all of the above is. When men go to battle and practice like these men's like these men do, the ego comes into play. There's always you're, you're measuring yourself up, and although you don't know exactly what will happen, you know they're not going for the kill during practice. They know who the alpha is, and that's what makes this so intriguing. Because both of these men, you look at them in the interviews, they're dead looking each other in the eyes, like I'll fuck you up, you know, I'm the man. They're saying the same shit, but deep down, one of those guys knows that the other guy is better than them. And they got to try to defeat that, right? Mentally battle that. It's a mental warfare. And that's what's fun about these. Because we know one of these guys knows that. Now, Kobe, he's a Southpaw fighter. He has a wrestling background. He's known as the Cardio King. Jorge, there's film of Jorge calling him that when they were in the cor cornering each other's fights. And he showcased that against Kamaru. 
There is a rumor that they're going to put the, the BMF title on the line, the baddest motherfucker. I think they should. Why not? Give this a little bit more allure, especially since there's no title fights. Put the fake title on. Now, Kobe, he was a D1 wrestler for Iowa Central Community College. He was a junior college champion. He's on a one-fight losing streak and has lost to Usman twice since 2019. He hasn't fought the level of competition that Masvidal has outside of Usman, uh, but it's still the class of the competition, in my opinion. Now, unlike Colby, Jorge still trains out of American Top Team. Right? There's a bunch of issues there. They kicked Colby out. Actually, kicked Jorge out, but he, he you know banged on the doors, got back in, and he did. He was known as a street fighter turned pro into Bellator and Strikeforce before the UFC. He's on a two-fight losing streak, both of them to Usman. 16 of his 35 wins are via knockout. He's the true vet that loves the game with over 50 professional fights. That's insane. And 20 of those in the UFC. As much as I'd love Jorge to win as a fan, I can't stand Colby Covington and the... the cringe king that he puts on but i believe colby's in his prime jorge isn't he's not going to be able to keep up with the cardio king and isn't going to be called so-called the king of miami anymore but it's going to be fun can't fucking wait i am going to take colby i am putting him on the parlay i am marking that ish down and we are getting that bread this weekend but up next, we got another fight night next Saturday with a 1 p.m. prelim start in Pacific time, a 4 p.m. main card. And this will be headlined by Tiago Santos and Magomed Ankalev. A deep card, the main event, both fighters in different situations. Santos fighting for momentum and an opportunity to move back up. Ankalev, the young up-and-comer that could really put a stamp on his career with that win. Fucking love the UFC. We got some fights, baby. Lots of, you know, new opponents, cancellations, health issues, but we still got some bangers. But let's move on to the NBA. Headlines around the league. Great news. The Charlotte Hornets signing Isaiah Thomas to a 10-year, or a ton of 10-year deal, a 10-day deal. Hopefully give him an opportunity to stay within the league. I'm glad that they're giving him that opportunity. The Lakers waive DeAndre Jordan, but today the 76ers sign him for the rest of the season, uh, get some center depth. Bradley Bill has a chance to opt out of his Wizards contract to get a max contract, but rumor is he's leaning on staying with the Wizards. Still not too sure why he keeps staying with the Wizards, but it is what it is. Maybe some loyalties, I'm not too sure. Kevin Durant supposed to return tonight. Back in action. The Nets need him better more than ever as they're on a huge slide. And suppo supposedly, Jack Harlow is starring in a new White Men Can't Jump reboot. One of my favorite movies of all time. All I got to say is please don't fuck this up. Uh, but hey, you know, he's having one of the best careers or hottest careers at the moment. He's all over the place. They're giving him a chance. I'll be interested to see what the rest of the cast is. Um, but yeah, one of my favorite movies of all time. So uh, hopefully they could put a, you know, hopefully it's no Space Jam 2. But let's look at two new East and West teams, two new teams in East and a West team. We're going to start things off with the Toronto Raptors, who are playing in front of no fans with the COVID stipulations that Canada is providing. When we look at the health of the squad right now, OG uh, Anobi is having a 
finger issue that looks to sideline them the next couple of weeks, which is tough as they're battling for position. Fred Van Fleet and Thad Young are day-to-day. They should be expected back soon, which is huge for them. And DJ Wilson has been out for some time with a knee injury. So they're relatively healthy. Missing OG is going to be brutal the next few weeks. We look at them in the standings. They currently are in the seven spot, which is the first seed that enters the play-in tournament. They're six and four in their last 10. So tough loss for them for OG. I doubt that they're able to pass Boston, who's a game and a half ahead of them, and the Cavs a game and a half ahead of them to get out of the play-in situation. But they should still stick in the play-in. They have a five-game advantage over the Hawks in 10th place. When we look at what they've done this season... The, the Raptors are, they're literally like the dinosaur. They're fucking smart and scrappy and find their way, right? They lose DeMar, they lose Kyle Lowry, and they keep finding fill-in players. And I like what this team has put together. Fred Van Fleet has battled some injuries. It's only his fourth season, which is kind of crazy to think. I feel like, you know, after those Kawhi years, it seemed like he was a staple of this team for so long. Plus my sense of time since COVID is just fucking terrible. Uh, but Fred Van Fleet's averaging 21.4 points per game, four and a half rebounds, 6.9 assists. And we, when we look at this over his career, I mean, pretty awesome numbers. Last year, he averaged 19 points per game, 17, then 11. Um, yeah, best season by far. Even uh, shooting-wise, he's shooting 39.8% from three, which besides his second year and a way lower volume is the best. So I would say this is the best shooting year of his career. Um, and, you know, the Raptors really need his production uh, without having the superstars that they do. Everyone is playing their part. But I think the one piece that's really, really taking this team to the next level is the level that Gary Trent Jr. has gotten to in his young career. He's only 23 years old. He's now averaging 18.2 points per game, 2.6 rebounds, 2 assists, so mostly a scorer. He did average 16 points per game the year before, but only 15 in Toronto, eight and two the seasons prior. So he, he keeps taking this up a notch. He's shooting 39.3% from three. So almost a 40% shooter this year. His second year, he did average 41% from three, but again, way less volume. So all these guys are kind of just leveling up together and they've been outcasts. Gary Trent Jr. Portland's like, we don't want you. Right. Um, and, and he's fit into this offense pretty, pretty amazingly. And then you got OG. He's only 24, coming from Indiana. 17.5 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, and 2.6 assists. Career-wise, it's the best year he's ever had as well. He's shooting a little bit worse from three than he usually does at 35%, but still a very capable scorer. And then you also have the rookie, Scotty Barnes. I thought for sure that they were going to grab somebody else, but I'm not mad about the Scotty Barnes situation. He's scrappy. He played in a team that had a lot of experience at Florida State, and he's willing to play defense. He's averaging 14.8 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, and 3.3 assists in his rookie season, and has to be a contender for rookie of the year, in my opinion. Um, And he's shooting 31% from three, so he's not much of a uh, shooter. They have that with Fred Van Fleet, Gary Trent Jr., and OG. Uh, But Scotty Barnes is a huge piece of this rotation and has really stepped up. And of course, they have Pascal Siakam. This man has put in some work. 21.1 points per game, 8.4 rebounds, and 5.2 assists. So a lot of their key players are doing a lot of things. Um, his numbers have been pretty 
consistent the past few years. He did average 22.9 points per game, so almost two points higher in the 19 to 20 season. Um, but he's shooting pretty good percentages, um, not necessarily career highs. They're, they're demanding a lot of volume at him, but he's still a, a stat filler, does a little bit of everything, two-way player. That's what's great. A lot of these guys are great two-way players as well. When we look at their bench depth, Chris Boucher is playing pretty well with 8.9 points per game and 5.8 uh, rebounds. You know, he had a, a higher uh, output last year, but still a key piece of their rotation. They have Precious Ashua, who they got from uh, Miami. Plays great two ways. Malachi Flynn has started to come along, especially getting some important minutes um, with Fred Van Fleet being hurt. Um, you know, it, it's only... Um, his second year out of San Diego State. So not a lot of superstar names, but guys that are playing high-quality basketball, the team is relevant. They've dealt with COVID issues, Toronto issues, international travel issues. You know, they've kind of had their back against the wall, and they're still right there in seventh. They've been higher in the rankings or in the standings before, uh, but still a scrappy team that you don't want to fuck with come playoff time, especially if OG's healthy and the squad's healthy. I do see them right around the seventh seed. Um... Depending on who they match up with, it's going to be interesting. Um, but a scrappy team nonetheless. A team I would not want to face in the playoffs. And then switching gears, we're going to talk about the Timberwolves. How about these Timberwolves, man? I just feel like no one gives this team credit. Everyone wants to dog the Timberwolves. They want to dog Carl Anthony Towns and everything. But they're secret, you know, sneakily in the seventh spot in the West, which is pretty impressive. Um, they're behind the class of the West. They are above the Clippers, the Lakers, the Pelicans, and the, the Blazers. I don't think they'll get ahead of the Nuggets, especially if Jamal Murray does come back. You know, they're saying Michael Porter Jr., but that guy's been injured most of his career. It's hard for me to be confident in that. Um, or the Mavericks or the Jazz and the, the other people in the West. When we look at the Timberwolves squad, they are healthy. Um, Anthony Edwards has a knee injury that's very short-term. They are missing McKinley Wright, who's been out with an elbow injury. Um, but they are relatively healthy. Out of their last 10, they've, they're they 6-4 as well. Um, they're 2.5 back from the 6th spot. So, like I said, I don't anticipate them leapfrogging teams in the standings. Uh, they re-signed Patrick Beverly. He's been a good leader to a very young team. Uh, he's putting up decent numbers. D'Angelo Russell, the once highly touted prospect averaging just under 20 points per game at 19.4 3.4 rebounds and 6.9 assists you gotta like what he's doing uh anthony edwards 21.4 points per game 4.7 rebounds 3.7 assists long lengthy guards somewhat similar to the raptors honestly um anthony edwards averaged 19 points in his rookie season so he's taking it up uh, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, a part of the rotation. He's been battling injuries. He's done a pretty good job. Jaden McDaniels, local uh, 206 guy from Federal Way, played at UW. Uh, he's he's put some big-time minutes for them off the bench. And when we look at Cat, he's averaging 24.5 points, 9.6 rebounds, 3.9 assists. He's 11th in the league in per at 24. Uh, the 24.5 points per game is pretty consistent. He had 24.8 the year before, 26.5 on the 18-19 season, and then 24.4. When we look at his percentages, he's shooting a career high. Nope, not a career high. He's shooting 40.8% from three for a big man is insane. 
right? He's trying to take the best man shooter ever award, which is he's very capable of doing. He did shoot 42% from three in the 17-18 season, though, which is wild for a big guy. To shoot over 40% in the league, that's good, let alone being a center. And then bench players, they got Malik Beasley playing well. They got Torian Prince, Nas Reed, and Jordan McLaughlin as well for some deeper depth. Josh Okogie. But they're a solid squad, right? They're just like the Raptors. They have physical guards that are willing to play both ways. They got a lot of length, and they're quick. They're young. So it's a fun team. Do I think they have championship aspirations? Absolutely not. Is it a team that will probably get beat by five in the first round? Probably. Um, but they're a team that's I think should get more credit. I do enjoy watching them play, and they're doing the damn thing. So it's fun to watch. Keep it going. You know, Minnesota doesn't get a ton of love. But again, they're a team that you really, you don't really want to get caught sleeping with. And if if they're they're on, Ant's getting his shots down, D'Angelo and Cat, you, you never know. You you can't over, over you can't sleep on the young bloods. Let's just say it like that. When we look at the standings before we recap last week's games, Miami has taken over the one spot in the East. They're a game and a half ahead of Chicago. The James Harden led. Joel, Joel Embiid led 76ers right there in third. Two games back from Miami. They're going to be a threat for the top. And then Milwaukee slides to number four or three back. The play-in seeds, you got Toronto, the Nets, Hornets, and Hawks. Boston has crept their way out. Uh, they've been on a tear the past couple months. And the West, the Suns still heavily ahead of the Warriors, seven back. The Grizz only a half game back from the Warriors and the Jazz three games back from them. Nuggets and Mavs right there, 5-6. And then the play-in teams are Timberwolves, Clippers, Lakers, Pelicans. So let's talk about what's happened in this past week in the league. Some good games. We had the Celtics smoking the Nets in Brooklyn, 129-106. Let's see here. The Celtics were led by Jason Tatum, who had 30 points on 20 shots, an efficient game, four from nine from three, seven rebounds, um, the whole starting five in double digits. The Nets were led by um, Steph Curry's little brother, Seth Curry, probably the most important player on the team without KD and Kyrie in and out. 22.7 rebounds for Seth. Also on Thursday last week, we had... The Warriors beating the Blazers 132-95 to in Portland. Steph Curry, the leader, with 18 points. Not a huge box night for him, uh, but they waxed him so bad they didn't need a lot of effort. And then Anthony Simons, going to probably be a big-time paid player after the performance this year. He had 24-3, and which makes me wonder. I am going to the Jazz-Blazer game in Portland at the end of the year. It's the last regular season game. I wonder if Dame's coming back this year. If there's any insight here. Four days ago. Dame Miller, da da da. Because Miss CJ's gone. Doesn't look like. February 27th. For surgery. Spoke with the media, six to eight week timeline at the end of January. So there is an opportunity, but with the Blazers being out, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to, to get him back. I would have liked to see Dame again in person, but hey, it is what it is. Easier for the Jazz. 
The Hornets beat the Raptors on Friday, 125 to 93. So beat them pretty, pretty good. The Raptors were led by Scotty Barnes, the rookie, 28 points on 18 shots. Good game for the rook. Uh, they were playing without um, OG in this game. And the Hornets were led by Terry Rozier, who had 23 and 9. Uh, somewhat of an efficient game for him, 23 on 16 shots. LaMelo Ball gone cold lately, 13 points on 16 shots. He was 2 of 7 from 3. And the bench showed out. Uh, Montrez, Montrez Harrell with 20 and 10. And Kelly Oubre with 23 points off the bench for the Hornets. Also on Friday, we had the 76ers beating the Timberwolves in Minnesota, 133-102. to Some lopsided affairs here. And the Sixers snapped. Joel Embiid, 34-10 and on 18 shots. 3 of 5 from 3 for the big man. Tyrese Maxey, 28 points. 16 shots, efficient game. 2 of 3 from 3. James Harden, 27-12-8. 7 of 12 from the field, 5 of 7 from 3. They shot 48% from 3 and 51% from the field. It's going to be hard to keep up with that. The Timberwolves were led by Cat, who had 25 and 7, pretty uh, decently efficient. And D'Angelo Russell had 21 points as well. But the Sixers easily handling the Timberwolves on the road. Let's see. Also on Friday, we have the Jazz squeaking by the Mavericks. 114-109. The Mavericks were led by uh, Luka Doncic, who had 23-7-11. Not a very efficient night for Luka. He had 23 on 24 shots. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, a nice acquisition of the team. He had 20 points off the bench. Utah was led by Donovan Spida Mitchell. 33 points. He was 11 of 19 from the field, 7 of 12 from 3, so had a nice efficient game. And uh, Bojan Bogdanovic had 18 points, while Rudy had 14 and 7 with three blocks to add. On Friday, the Clippers, being the king of LA, beating the Lakers in a so-called home game, 105-102. The Clips were led by Terrence Mann, who had 19 and 10. And the Lakers tried to do their best. LeBron James had 21 and 11. Not a very efficient game. 21 shot, 21 points on 18 shots. Two of eight from three. And not a lot of help from the starting lineup, but Carmelo did have 18 off the bench for the for the Lakers. Moving into the weekend on Saturday, the Hawks beat the Raptors 127 to 100 at home. The Raptors were led by Fred Van Fleet, who had 24 and, uh, and nine on 22 shots, so not very efficient for Fred Van Fleet. But Trey Young, Ice Trey, 41 points, 11 assists. Uh, to get the Hawks a nice victory as they're trying to climb up the, the standings as well. The Heat beating the Spurs, 133-129. Bam Adebayo, 36-7-4 for the Young Blood, And Bates Diop leading the Spurs with 22-11. The Grizzlies beating the Bulls in Chi-Town, 116-110. This was a good game. Uh, you already know, John Morant on his Grizzly, 46 points. Very efficient and 28 shots, three of four from three. Have a game, sir. DeMar DeRozan putting up MVP-like numbers with 31.7 rebounds. And uh, Zach Levine with 28 points, but it wasn't enough against the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies ain't shooting a lot of threes, but they're getting them dubs. And then Brooklyn with a huge win over Milwaukee on the road, 126-123. Kyrie Irving was looking nice. 
38 points, very efficient 38 points on the night. And the Bucks were led by Bobby fucking Portis with a 30 banger. He had 30 and 12, nice efficient night. He was 8 of 14 from downtown. And Giannis having 29 and 14. Chris Middleton with 25 of his own. But Giannis shooting one of six from three, slow down. <laughs> the Greek freak needs to slow down from deep and had 29 points on 20 shots. Brooklyn takes advantage. Heading into Sunday, we have the 76ers beating the Knicks in Madison Square Garden, 125 to 109. The Sixers were led by Joel Embiid, who had 37 and 9, even though he was 0 for 4 from 3. Uh, James Harden with 29 and 16. And the Knicks were led by Evan Fournier and RJ Barrett, who both had 24. Isaiah quickly with a nice 21 points off the bench. Then we had the Jazz beating the Suns 118-114 in Phoenix, but obviously no CP3. The, the Jazz were led by Donovan Mitchell, of course, with 26 points. Not very efficient on 20 shots. Jordan Clarkson with a nice 22 off the bench. And the Suns were led by uh, Devin Booker, who had 37-7. and Nice game from D. Book. And then Cameron Johnson and DeAndre Ayton, both with 23 apiece, and the loss at home. Somehow the Pacers beating the Celtics in Indiana, 128-107. to Tough loss for the Celtics while they've been hot. The Celtics were led by Jason Tatum, who had 24 points on 22 shots. Uh, not a very efficient night for him. Jalen Brown with 23. And the Pacers were led by O'Shea Brissett, who had 27 points. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, the new Pacer, 22-9 on the day. And Buddy Hild in a New Jersey, 21-6. The Pacers win at home. The Pistons upset the Hornets in overtime in Charlotte. Michael Jordan is disgusted. The Pistons were led by Sadiq Bey, Nova Nation, baby, 28-8. Uh, Jeremy Grant with a nice 26-piece. And for the Hornets, Miles Bridges, 29-10. Terry Rozier, 33 points on 21 shots, 6 of 10 from 3. They still couldn't get the job done. The Warriors losing to the Mavericks in Oakland, 107-101. This is all the Lucas show. He had 34-11. And the Warriors were led by Steph Curry, who had 27 and 10. But on 25 shots, he's been battling some efficiency the, the second half of the season. Moving into Monday. The Raptors smoking the Nets in Brooklyn. Brooklyn obviously couldn't play with Kyrie. Um, so they're out Kyrie, out KD. The Raptors took advantage. They had Scotty Barnes with 28 and 16. The rookies taken over getting some extra production with OG uh, being hurt. And the Nets only had four players in double digits. Uh, Cam Thomas had 14 off the bench and Bruce Brown with 14 to lead the Nets. Their slide continues. The Bucks beating the Hornets in Milwaukee, 130-106. The Hornets were led by LaMelo Ball getting back in, in action a little bit with 24 points. The Bucks had Giannis uh, with 26 and 16 and four blocks. And Drew Holiday had a nice 21 and 8. It's good to see him going uh, late in the season. Big battle in the East. Miami beating the Bulls 112-99 in Miami. The Bulls were led by Zach Levine, who had 22 points. Miami had Gabe Vincent with 20 points and Tyler Harrell with 20 points, six rebounds and five assists off the bench. 
Moving into Tuesday, the Celtics beating the Hawks in Boston 107-98. The Hawks were led by Trey Young as he stays hot with 31 points. The Celtics were led by Jason Tatum, an efficient game, 33 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. Jason Tatum picking up, getting, getting hot at the right time. And then the Raptors beating the Nets in Toronto um, with the, the rules, no Kyrie Irving, no KD. They were led by, of all people, wow. They were led by uh, James Johnson, who had 19 points for the Nets. And Toronto was led by Gary Trent Jr. had 24 points and 7 rebounds. Big win for the Raptors at home. The Timberwolves upsetting the Warriors in Minnesota. The Warriors were led by Steph Curry, who had 34 points. A nice, efficient game for Steph. And the Timberwolves had 39-9 and from Cat and the big win. And D'Angelo Russell with 22. And even Malik Beasley with 20 points off the bench, shooting 6 from 9 from 3. Those Raptors, or those Timberwolves hitting their shots, they're going to be a tough team to beat. And then Dallas taking it to the Lakers, 109-104 at Staples or Crypto.com. Hate that name. Um, the Mavericks were led by Luka, who had 22-8. Uh, Jalen Brunson with a nice game, nice game. Another Nova Nation, 22 points. And the Lakers were led by LeBron, who had 26-12 and 12 in defeat. Carmelo with 20 off the bench. The Lakers are struggling. Yesterday, we had some decent games as well as the Hornets beat the Cavs in the land, 119-98. The Hornets were led by Rozier, Scary Terry with 29-7-7. and And the Cavaliers had Darius Garland pop off for 33 points, but it wasn't enough as the Hornets buzzed their way to victory. The Sixers beating the Knicks again, but this time in Philly, 123-108. The Knicks were led by R.J. Barrett, who's been nice lately. 30 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists, um, 3 for 8 from 3. Julius Randle chipping in with 24-6, and six, but on 24 shots. And really, the Sixers, it was all about the starting five. All five over double digits, three of them over 20 points. Joel has 27-12. and 12. Tyrese Maxey with 25 points, 4 for 6 from 3, and James Harden with 26, 9, and 9, just shy of a triple-double. Really good game from the big three in Philly. The Bucks beat the Heat in Milwaukee, 120-119. They still a win. Miami's up almost the whole game, uh, but they have a good fourth quarter. Uh, Milwaukee was led by Giannis with 28 and 17, not very efficient. But they got the job done. Chris Middleton chipping in 26. And Drew Holiday with 25 and 11. And Miami's led by Gabe Vincent, who has 21 points. But Tyler Hero snapped off the bench. 30 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists. Tough loss for, my, for Miami on the road. Especially when they're up most of the game. And then the Suns waxing the Blazers without CP3. Led by Cameron Johnson with 20 points. That's the week in the NBA. We're getting close to that playoff time. I can't wait as this is one of the most open years I can remember. And that makes things interesting because you just don't know. You got to play. It's all about matchups. Speaking about matchups, it's fucking March 3rd. March Madness is almost here. Got to redeem myself after a terrible bracket last year. And what a week it was. All top six Associated Press teams in the poll. Losing for the first time in poll history. 
It was upset up after upset after upset. And it just shows you this March is going to be fucking madness. When I look at the rankings, there's not a ton to really nitpick. This is me kind of getting picky. Arizona's really been showing out of late, but I still think they aren't a top five team in the country. So I have them at overrated at number two. Not a ton of changes in the polls as a bunch of the teams had lost, but Baylor does jump up seven spots to number three. They got to take advantage there. I still think Houston's overrated at 14. Uh, USC being overrated at 16. Arkansas being overrated, tied at 14 with Houston. Uh, Murray State, I like them as a mid-major. I don't think they belong in the top 25. Uh, St. Mary's as well. They got the win over Gonzaga, but are they really a top 25 team with six losses um, in a pretty simple schedule? I don't believe so. So I'm, that's why I'm giving these guys overrated. And then underrated, um, I don't really see very many. You could potentially say Ohio State, but they've been clunky of late as well. Um, so mostly overrated uh, teams that are just a little higher than I think they should be. Looking at the past weekend games, picking up from Thursday, Oregon drop or upsetting UCLA at home 68 to 60. They were led by Devion Harmon, who had 17 points. And UCLA had Hawkins Jr. with only 10 points on nine shots. He's been struggling with efficiency. Uh, it looks like Johnny Juzang must have got hurt. He only played 11 minutes and put up seven points. So big reason why the Ducks uh, get the win. Huge Big Ten battle last Thursday as Ohio State escapes the fighting Illinois in Illinois. Ohio State was led by EJ Liddell, who had 21-7. and seven. Uh, They also had a very nice game from the young Malachi Braham, who had 31 points. How about Branham? He's out there hooping, hooping. And then the Illinois... Illinois team was led by Plummer, who had 26 points. He was 8 of 10 from 3. You see a guy shoot 8 of 10 from 3 in a squad, shoot 48% from 3 in college. They're usually getting the dub, but Ohio State shot 50% from the field. It just wasn't enough. Kofi Coburn struggling with foul trouble, only putting up 12 points. And 3 rebounds, which is not going to cut it. USC escaping Oregon State in double overtime. Um, really the, 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 the name of this game was all Deshaun Davis, who had 31 points for the Beavers and USC was led by Drew Peterson, who had 23 and 10 for the Trojans as they escape a brutal upset. Moving into Friday, Iowa cleaning up Nebraska. No surprise there. Saturday, St. Mary's with a huge upset over the Zags, 67 to 57. And it was a tough shooting night for the Zags. They shot 33% from three, 36% from the field. Uh, Chet Holmgren, only six points on seven shots. Timmy with six points on 10 shots. St. Mary's has a game plan against the Zags. They typically find a way to win one game during the season. It is what it is. Uh, but four of the five starters for St. Mary's in double digits. Colorado upsetting Arizona at home, 79-63. to uh, Tubalis only had 13 points, while Mathurin, 12 points on 11 shots. Colorado only shooting 26% from three, um, but shot damn near 50% from the, from the field. And they were led by Tristan Da Silva, who had 19 points for the buffs. Two players with double digits off the bench for Colorado. 
Again, upsets was the name of the game this past week. Tennessee upsetting Auburn 67-62. Jabari Smith tried to do the damn thing with 27 points and 8 rebounds on 21 shots, uh, but it wasn't enough as five players from Tennessee were over double digits and their leader, Santiago Viscovi, with 14 points for, for Tennessee. Huge win for Tennessee. Michigan State upsetting Purdue. Although Zach Eady had 25 points, the young big man, the seven-footer, uh, but five players from Michigan State over double digits, and they were led by Gabe Brown, who had 13 points for the Spartans. Huge upset at home for Michigan State. Keep the upset train going. Baylor upsetting the Jayhawks 80-70 to 70 at home. Um, Ochaya Baji had 27 points on 22 shots. He was 4 of 14 from 3. Also pitched in 6 rebounds. So not super efficient, but he tried to do the damn thing. And Baylor was led by Flo Thamba, who had 18 points, 9 rebounds. Um, four players, one, two, three, yeah, four players in double digits for Baylor. Arkansas upsetting Kentucky, 75-73. Um, Toshibwe, huge game, 30 points, 18 rebounds on 21 shots. He really took over. J.D. Note tried to keep up with 30 points as well and eight assists. Um, but Kentucky found a way to squeeze, or, uh, uh, excuse me, Arkansas won 75-73. Tashwibi tried to put the team on his back, but JD did the damn thing. Arkansas comes away with the victory. Duke survives Syracuse. Buddy uh, Beheim, 23 points. Um, for Duke, they were led by Mark Williams, who had 28-12. TCU upsets Texas Tech at home. This one was a shocker for me. Um especially when Bryson Williams puts up 21 points for the Red Raiders and they still lose. But um, TCU caught fire as Mike Miles put up 26 points and the Horned Frogs get the upset. Providence smokes Creighton at home. A.J. Reeves with 23 points. UCLA handles Oregon State. Wisconsin handles a very scrapper Rutgers team on the road. Johnny Davis with 19-8. and eight. USC beating Oregon by one. Murray State getting a nice win. Texas scrapping by West Virginia. I've talked about West Virginia. You know, they're not going to get in with a 3-13 and 13 Big 12 record, but they've been scrappy. Moving into Sunday, Illinois beating Michigan. Kofi Coburn back in the nice box score, 27-7. Maryland beating Ohio State. Ohio State on a little bit of a skid. They, they beat Ohio State pretty handily, 75-60. to 60. EJ Liddell goes 0-5 for 5 from 3, gets 11 points on 10 shots. It's not going to do the trick. Um, Maryland has two players in double digits. They have Fats Russell and Eric Ayala with 27 and 23 apiece. Maryland goes on to win. Nice upset for the Terps. Coming into this week, Baylor... Uh, beating Texas 68-61. Akeem Joe for Baylor with 19-8-7. Nice line for Baylor in, vi in the victory. Heading into Tuesday, Arizona waxing USC by 20. Mathurin with 19-5-6 for the victory. TCU beating Kansas. TCU just getting big upsets. Uh, trying to make a name for them come tournament time. 
McCormack only had 11 points. Obaji with 13 points on 17 shots, although he did have eight rebounds. And Mike Miles for TCU leading the way again with 19 points and six rebounds. Wisconsin beating Purdue at home. I watched this game. This one came down to the wire. Big shot after big shot. Ivy hits a three. Wisconsin hits a three. It was nuts. Um, Ivy led Purdue with 22 points. And Wisconsin was led by not Johnny Davis or Davison. This time it's Tyler Wall who had 19 points as Wisconsin gets the big win at home. My Villanova Wildcats beating Providence at home. What a game this was. Caleb Daniels with a nice 20-piece off the bench. Bynum with 19-6-10 for Providence, but it wasn't quite enough. And Ohio State losing another one to Nebraska at home. You can't lose those at-home games, especially when the Cornhuskers are 3-16 in the conference. Nebraska was led by Bryce McGowans, who had 26 points. Ohio State was led by EJ Liddell, who had 27 and 14. Still couldn't get the win. The rest of his team didn't quite support him. Tough loss on Tuesday. Yesterday, Auburn survives Mississippi State on the road in overtime. Uh, Jabari Smith with 27 and 12. Arkansas survives LSU at home by one. Tari Eason had a nice game with 24 and 7. Um, Yamude for Arkansas had 23 and 5 in the victory. And more upsets. Creighton upsetting UConn, which is wild as Creighton's trying to survive um, the, the season and get into the tournament. They win by 264-62. RJ Cole tried to try to, you know, put the team on his back with 20 points, but it was on 20 shots. So not a very efficient game for the Huskies as they shot 27% from three, 40% from the field. And Creighton was led by their big man, Ryan Kalbrenner, who had 22 points and 10 rebounds. And again, more upsets. Alabama losing to Texas A&M at home. I've been telling you Alabama's overrated all year. Um, Texas A&M was um, led by Quentin Jackson, who had 28 points. Meanwhile, dang, Alabama yeah, shot really cold. 33% from three, 48% from the field. They had Shackleford with 16 points on 12 shots. Javon Quinterly, 14 points on 11 shots. Not good night for the Tide. And then today we have some active games. Ohio State's up early on Michigan State. Illinois beating Penn State. Houston. Um, Arizona's playing Stanford and Iowa and Michigan tonight. But boy, oh boy, are we getting down to the nitty gritty. You have the rest of the regular season this weekend conference championships next weekend and then selection Sunday. I'll be going IG live, giving you my picks, my predictions, the matchups. It's going to be fun. Can't wait. Can't wait. But we're going to wrap the show up with some random sports talk and some super cross. It's brutal out here for a Ken Roxon fan round eight at Arlington, a triple crown weekend. Tough news in the two fifty is Austin Forkner ended up breaking his collarbone. But in the first race of the Triple Crown, Forkner finishes first, Cameron McAdoo second, RJ Hampshire third, and Jet Lawrence just shy of the podium with fourth place finish. So Kawasaki getting a first and second place on the podium uh, for the first race. In the second race, Jet Lawrence takes the victory, Jeremy Martin second, 
Cameron McAdoo third with another podium, and Austin Forkner just shy of the podium at fourth. And then in the third race, McAdoo just improving on his day, getting a first-place finish. Pierce Brown second, Jeremy Martin third, Jet Lawrence finished 10th as he was part of the nasty wreck that Forkner had that ended up breaking his collarbone, and Forkner with that 19th place finish. So the final standings for the Triple Crown, Cameron McAdoo first, Jeremy Martin second, uh, Jet Lawrence still getting the podium at third, and Forkner in seventh. So the 250 East Riders, the points stand with McAdoo at first at 47. Jet Lawrence is tied with them there. Jeremy Martin in third, five points back at 42. And Fortner with the tough loss and the, the injury falls into fourth at 39. When we look at the 450 class, there was some fun battles here, including Jason Anderson and Eli Tomac. They were battling in multiple races in the Triple Crown. In the first race, Cooper Webb with a nice hot start getting first. Justin Barsha second. Tomac third to round out the podium. Sexton falling shy at fourth. Malcolm Stewart consistently riding in fifth. Jason Anderson sixth. And my guy Ken Roxon with the 16th place finish. Going to the second of the Triple Crown. Jason Anderson takes the lead. Eli Tomac second. Chase Sexton third for the podium. Cooper Webb just shy at fourth. Dylan Friend is fifth. Malcolm Stewart and Justin Barsha go six, seven. And Ken Roxon a little bit better at nine which rounds us out for the third race of the Triple Crown. Jason Anderson first, Tomac second, and back-to-back races. Malcolm Stewart third, Cooper Webb fourth, just shy of the podium again. Chase Sexton five, Justin Barsha sixth, young Shane McElrath seventh, Dylan Frandis eighth, and Ken Roxon with another 16th place finish. So the point standings for the Triple Crown goes Tomac one, Anderson two, Webb three to round out the podium. Sexton four, Stewart 5, Barsha 6, Fran is 7th, and Roxon with the 13. So as we look at the points, Eli's in 1st with 177. Jason Anderson's right behind at 171. Stewart's quite a ways behind at 149 for 3rd. Cooper Webb's only 2 points back now at 147. He keeps moving up the rankings, almost into the podium now. Uh, the defending champ. Justin Barsha 5th at 145. He's right behind. And Chase Sexton's right behind at 142. Ken Roxon is now back into ninth at only 117 points. So this Saturday, round nine, Daytona Beach is always a fun one. Long sand section, long whoop section. We'll see if this can mix it up a little bit for the 450 and the 250 classes. USA Soccer good news, getting an eight-year television deal with Turner Broadcasting TNT, which, hell, the USA team, the fact that they weren't even on a major televised network blows my mind. Great to see them getting a TV deal. Um, this was all about the week of the lockout in MLB. Uh, reportedly, they were close to a contract, went all night and morning. Did not happen. They missed the deadline, so they already um, initiate the lockout and canceled the first two series of the weekend, uh, first two series of the season. Uh, there was a two-game series of my Angels coming and supposed to play the Mariners. It's canceled, so I'm pretty pissed off. First year I get season tickets and we're dealing with the lockout. Um, people that I respect, like Tim Kirchin, says that the owners are going to do whatever they want. This is a huge flex. And there's some, some people are saying that they may not get a, a, the regular season going until May, which would be very brutal for baseball, tough for baseball fans, players. You know, baseball is already struggling from a fan and ratings perspective. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. And also in baseball, Derek Jeter 
uh, is leaving the Mar- Marlins, and ESPN is wanting to recruit him as an analyst. So there's no surprise there. Just to give you perspective on the lockout, I know these superstars get paid a bajillion dollars, but in the lockout, this is a a loss per day from some of the stars. Max Scherzer would lose $232,974 a day. Anthony Rendon, $193,000. Garrett Cole, $193,000. Mike Trout, $190,000. I mean, the amount of money that they're losing in this lockout is insane, but they have to uh, hold strong because the MLB is just trying to flex on them. And this was a tweet from Ryan Divish um, here in Seattle, Mariners PR guy, and I completely agree. Really what the MLB owners is they're trying to play the the, the bully game. Um, They're trying to say this is our best and final offers. This is all we're going to do. They invoked the lockout, procrastinated negotiations till the last minute, refused to even engage on some issues, offered embarrassing low ball offers and set their own deadline to delay to opening day and insinuated that they would cancel the first month of the season. Here we are. Blame the owners. Blame the owners. But if baseball does come back, which it should, hopefully sooner than later, NBC Sports is talking about getting a broadcasting deal that would be worth 100 to $150 million dollars which, yes, this will help baseball. Get them on fucking TV. There's barely any games televised. It's brutal. It's it's kind of fucked up. So I would love for that to happen. And some non-story stories. I watched an I Am Athlete podcast with J.R. Smith. He was talking about HBCUs and what they can do to help stop basically getting money to the big schools that don't treat them right. I think it was a very, very powerful podcast. I highly recommend tuning into that one as there was some good ideas surfaced there. Um, Watch the Kanye West Netflix. That shit has been awesome. Really inspired. I love me some Kanye. Hope he goes on tour this year. Was going to go to Coachella just for him, but I'm not going. But either way, must tune into Genius on uh, Netflix. And um, with the war in Ukraine and Russia going on, Apple suspending sales in Russia, sports teams and other people pulling out of anything involving Russia. Hopefully we can get this to come to a standstill again. Prayers for everyone in Ukraine. Let's end this war. This is some bullshit, but thanks for tuning in another week recap in sports UFC 272 this weekend. Get you fired up, get your pre-lifts, get your proteins, get your supplements, fueledsupplements.com. Use my promotion code save while you do it. We'll see you guys next week.